What's up, citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger, and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access, you're going to get exclusive on-demand content. This means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show, every single after show, and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week. But most importantly, your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality, Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel. So what are you waiting for? Change everything at ApologiaRadio.com. Wait, hang on. Five, wait, four, <laughs> wait, three, wait, oh, wait. Oh my god. Is that an appropriate song to play? Now we are ready. Now we are ready. Okay. <laughs> okay. Five, four, three. Non rock a boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat, I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day? Doggy, or are you gonna bite? Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yeah! Yeah! What? 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 Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, yeah. I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel chapter 7, y'all. What's up? We're back. Hey, someone's computer is going crazy. Crazy. It's always Luke's devices that are like, please. It's not always my devices. Well, actually, okay. Yours always used to do that. It's true. Wow. But as a trouble in paradise over here, guys. (laughs) Recently, (laughs) more like. So we're back. That's Luke the Bear. <laughs> okay, so we just got to discuss something right off the top here. Okay, well, let me, let me say hi to Joy no, first. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. Okay, don't One, Okay. You're missing something very important, and in lieu of that, have added a purple robe. So <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm just going to tell you my theory on this whole thing. I think right now we're dealing with a time-traveling Jeff <laughs> from a few years ago. I went through a worm. I went through a wormhole. You, you have the actual <laughs> Jeff, like, stashed away somewhere. But this is actually you from a while ago. So some people maybe 
Don't know yet, and that's okay. No, everybody knows. Wouldn't Jeff. expect you. Everybody, everybody know. knows. I shaved off everybody. my beard. It's the only thing people are talking about. I on shaved the off my beard so that my son could see my face. He's seven and says that I don't know what your face looks like without hair on it. And so all I gotta say is I did it to bless him, and it's coming back. Okay, it was just for fun. It's just for joke. <laughs> it's just for joke. And all I gotta say is this entire episode, what I expect from you guys. I'll drill y'all. Stop playing with my name. I ain't gonna say it no more. <laughs> so if you're put seven, some if, respect on it. If your seven year old, <laughs> if your seven year old asked you to jump off a bridge, would you do that? <laughs> probably. Hmm. There's a lot of things you probably do right now. As tired as I, you listen, are, I, I got lots of. Th- I, I did. Yeah, no sleep. That's Joy the girl over there. Luke the bear. I'm the ninja. That is Nostril Damas right there next to me. Jerry, Jerry Roberts in the back on the ones and twos. We've got. King Ginger, as usual. Gabe's in the back right now on his cell phone. By the way, he made an amazing all-access commercial. The man is brilliant. You guys will see that really soon. And we have a very special guest in the studio today. His name is Bobby Crane. He is the winner. He is the one that got the recipient of the gift of Apologia Studios, where we did the special thing for all of our all-access Partners with our ministry, where we basically randomly select a name. We fly you out. We put you up in a hotel. You get to be in the studio with us, do a show, and we take you to Meat Fest. That's Bobby Crane. Hey, everybody. First time on Apologia Radio. What? <laughs> Actually, second time. This is your second time on Apologia Radio. That's true. Because the first time yeah. you called in, right? We called him. Was that on the radio? That was on the radio. Yeah. You were you actually on oh. Apologia Radio? I didn't know it was on the contest. And I didn't know I was on the radio when you yeah, called. Yeah, right. Well, well I, I didn't even know we were having a contest. Yeah, didn't we play it? I called because you were asleep. I don't <laughs> think we ever aired it. Did we? Did not air it? Okay. Oh, yeah. we recorded. At least we Are recorded. Are you serious? The phone we call. didn't air that. Yeah. Maybe we did. I don't feel as bad now. Yeah, I don't okay. know. Maybe. Who knows? Oh. Luke Marcus, message me Marcus the other day. Do his like, job. We put out a lot of content. We do. <laughs> Luke messaged me the other day and was like, um, dogs, "You scum sucking pig! <laughs> you sons of a motherless goat!" <laughs> was that towards me? Yeah, it was Man, towards that's you. Just, that's just towards rude. You're not wow. doing your job. <laughs> oh wow! That is okay. rude. Luke messaged me and was like, "Hey, so the contest winner's here for Meat Fest," and I was like, "Oh, that." I didn't even know there was a contest. I'm on the show. <laughs> How did that even happen? You know there's a contest. No. Yes, you do. <laughs> I mean, I know there's You've been to one. Meat Fest. I have, yeah. but... You didn't I eat didn't. any meat. You and Marcus. Hey, by the way, can I just ask you this question? I forgot you, to ask you it last ask night. You can ask me, yes. Um, it's a dying business. Well, hold on now. I, I, <laughs> I'm serious. I totally <laughs> neglected to ask you. Did you tell them last night that he wasn't eating meat? Did we get a discount? You didn't even ask, did you? I don't think there's an option for that. You je- you have to pay f- you have to pay that money anyway. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Wow. He there's didn't just, touch because I, I, I looked. He didn't touch a lick of meat. I, he didn't lick a touch of meat. <laughs> I looked and there was it was just one dinner thing. That's it. Yeah. You got to go in there and pay fifty bucks. Yeah. And even if you don't even if I you ate have his a, meat, I ate his worth of if meat. If you have so. a piece of cheese, it's fifty bucks. That's some nice cheese, though. It is that, really it good, is good cheese. cheese. I'm not going to eat $50 in cheese puffs. I did eat $50 in cheese puffs. Yeah. They have an amazing little piece of bread that they, it's nonstop. They do not, your table is never without these bread puffs. Although and it's, they were slacking a little it's, bit. It's basically, it tastes like it's only cheese, but it's actually bread and cheese. And it's amazing. You remember those? Yeah. You remember, you remember that? I do. You remember that? that? You remember yeah. that? You know what it I reminds do. me of? It what? reminds me of those like old cartoons where the king is like eating, eating at a table. Yes. And like, there's just like 
chicken legs, and they're just like—is he wearing a robe? Is he wearing a, a royal purple robe? robe like I am right now because yeah. it's cold in here. I was listening, Marcus. Well, okay. I'm sorry, Marcus. Continue, sir. No, you were saying just, it reminds me of like the old Disney cartoons with the king on the table, and there's just piles of meat, and these guys come up and they just like shave off meat. Uh, yep, that's constantly. It, that's, it's, yeah, it's it's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's indulgent. <laughs> so much death. So much so death much is involved. Death. You, yes, well, he told me he was struggling. You don't even belong <laughs> on this. Sh- Marcus said yeah, he was I'm struggling. Just saying, gee, Jesus is putting death under his feet, so it's kind of a bad business decision right now to be in the meat business. Yeah, I don't know, but I think in Romans it says only only the weak eat vegetables. I think it says that in Romans. We don't care about we don't care about context. Coming straight out of context. Coming straight out of ice of Jesus, y'all. Straight out of context. So I just want to say before we start the show, I want to apologize ahead of time. For, your for my flightiness and craziness and oh. all the stuff that might come out of my mouth today because I got absolutely no sleep last night. Well, absolutely no sleep is an exaggeration. That's true. That's true. Maybe that's why it was a lack of sleep. I was just my running through my mind all night. And that's why so, you can't stay um, warm today. You time, know, sleep. Time traveling, Jeff. What was the most amazing thing <laughs> <laughs> you saw when you first arrived here? Five years into the future, <laughs> what were you most surprised by? iPhones, uh, uh, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> Gabe, uh, surprised by Gabe. <laughs> wow, that guy. Yeah, how did Gabe? Huh? Um, I honestly thought that with your beard, given that you look like when Apology first started, I heard that there was a uh, movie project. I thought. You're sort of doing this like movie remake of the first. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're doing like a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought yeah, you were sort yeah, of doing yeah. a. Yeah, like that's a, why I did it. Not yeah, like a, mov- a movie not remake of the first year at Apologia. Because I, I was saying earlier, there's some of the earlier videos. Yeah. Like I'm looking at you and it's. I think it time, time travel, travel is a little I'm more that route. Yeah, sure, like, I like, think time travel wormhole. <laughs> I'm saying I'm gonna say Stargate. Yeah. <laughs> Second guess is you're doing some sort of remake of the early days. I'm calling Stargate. Well, hey, one thing that's nice is we got these amazing. So thank you to our all-access partners. We have new uh, little cords in the microphones that don't wiggle. They're always oh wiggling. Gosh. No. They're always wiggling. In the show, they're always the constantly sound, coming like, out. Cuts and in and out. Sort of, they're always they, wiggling. Yeah. And they're not wiggling going. anymore. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Usually, yeah. usually, you'd be in here, and every once in a while, you'd have to grab it, and you'd have to... It's talking about microphone XLR cables. Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, so it's, talking, it's a it's a it's a hip hop artist. He uses microphone cables all the time. He's very familiar with He's having to w- of it. wiggle an XLR <laughs> no. cable. So he wrote a song about it. Jerry, back to what you were saying. If we were fi- doing a film of the early days of Apologia, clearly Jeff would be played by Andrew Lincoln. Who's Andrew Lincoln? Oh my gosh! Come on. Who's Andrew Lincoln? Oh, oh my! The Walking Dead. Oh man. my goodness oh. gracious! You should have said his name like from the show. Then I would have known. Most people know who Andrew Lincoln is. Oh, yeah. okay. see what happens when you shave your beard off? <laughs> you, you see lose. what happens, Jeff? You see what <laughs> your happens? brain goes? Pop culture <laughs> no, references out it's of your because, head. It's because Walking Dead wasn't a big thing five years ago. Traveling Jeff. He doesn't know. <laughs> What's Walking <laughs> Dead? And your son Sage is a lot like coming together. You're laughing right now, but you're like, shoot, she's on to me. She's on to me. Yeah, and your son Sage is a lot like Carl. He just looks the same. He yeah. just gets yeah, got, played he's just, by Chandler Riggs. Yeah, he just he just has gotten bigger over time. Yeah, so I would clearly be played by that one wrestler. Which one wrestler? 
What's the, what's that guy's name? You know. You know, you know. <laughs> you're you're always telling me he that guy looks like me. Oh yeah, there's a guy, Daniel Bryan. Yeah, that guy. There's if you look at the Wikipedia, there's a picture where he's shaved ball, his head shaved ball, but he has a big beard. He's and he's actually wearing a robe of all things, and mm. he looks exactly like Luke. Yeah, see? Well, I got post on the page. Yeah. There you go. Well, here we go. So we are going to have know. a fun show. <laughs> it's going to be wild and crazy and hopefully huh? theologically enrichment to you guys and a blessing. And we are thankful, very thankful for Bobby being in the studio Bobby. today. Bobby, my boy Bobby. Um, all right. So uh, let's see what's up. Let's do something we haven't done in a long time. And we're going to go ahead and share with you guys ahead of time where you can go to do the same thing. Marcus Pittman, where can people get a hold of us how do they call the glory line 909-65 glory all right you guys can call 909-909-65 glory the glory line you can call in and you can say more than even sounds different you can say wonderful things see for me it's not too bad because this angle you're like the lower part of your face is all covered covered but uh, i mean i think last sunday you were just standing around talking and i was like who are you can you I just cover just your face with I your just robe? couldn't stop staring and, at your weird face. And you preached like a really hard sermon <laughs> yeah. Sunday and about repentance and yeah. hypocrisy. Mm. And nobody could take it seriously. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried about it. Yeah, everyone was like... <laughs> I was actually worried that they, people were going to have a hard time listening to the message because they're so distracted by the fact that my face looked like... It does. That's like exactly, like that's exactly what happened. Face. And I do, I, I do want to say this, that I took it off and I thought like maybe in a couple hours I'll get used to it. And right. like, uh, I'll look back in the mirror and I'll be like, oh, all right, I got it. And, yeah. and no. And then Candy, too, the whole time she's just like, I keep trying to get used to it and I can't. <laughs> she's like, you got to hurry up and grow it back. She's like, and she's calling me Little Chin. Oh, my God. And she said that I looked like that that shrunken head creature on Beetlejuice at the very end. <laughs> was sitting on the couch with a small head. She's like, you're like that guy with the shrunken head on Beetlejuice. Oh, man. It took yeah. you 33 years to get that that much beard. What are you right. gonna, this is going to take that and, long. And three, four months. I think three or four months I'll get it Some back. Some people have, a tiny, yeah. have tiny heads. Other people months. have tiny hands. <laughs> tiny hands. Okay. So here we go. Let's do our glory line. Some of you guys called in, and we're going to play them right now on the air. The glory line, y'all. Hey, guys at Apologia. Enjoy. This is Carrie. Um, I just had an experience uh, witnessing to some Mormons recently, and I was cautioned by a pastor that I should not have done so um, or should do so with great caution because of 2 John 2, verse 10. Um saying that we shouldn't have anything to do with people who do not preach the same gospel we do. I just wondered if you had ever heard that before, how you would respond. Well, I haven't heard it quite like that. Um, I would say with respect to your pastor, um, if we uh, didn't have anything to do with people who didn't preach the same gospel as us, we would never reach the world. Not one person. Uh, The Bible says, at the very end of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, it's important to notice then that, that the, the therefore is there for the fact that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. So that means that there is no realm, no people group, no nation, no tribe, no tongue, nobody that is outside of his realm of authority now, today, which means that we should take Jesus seriously when he says to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, within those nations, particularly in the first century, you have just paganism 
everywhere. It's not even what we see now in the world where there is uh, the Christian faith and the gospel is reaching to, you know, so many different parts of the world that it wasn't before. China is on track, according to one popular news article, of becoming the most Christian nation, quote unquote Christian nation, I think by the year 2025. And so if you think about when that was uh, penned when Jesus actually said it. It's in a time where all the nations were just absolutely steeped in paganism and rebellion against God, and all these different nations ha- uh, nations have all these different belief you systems. I know all these different gods <laughs> and all these different quote unquote gospels. And so, if if we were to say we need to reach people who have the same gospel as us, then we're in big trouble. We're not going to reach anybody. And when Uh, By the way, the one thing that is quoted often in regard to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and and people like that is 2 John um, verse 10. So that's a popular one. Let's let's do this real fast. There's only one uh, quote-unquote chapter in this very, very short letter uh, from the Apostle John, but it is quoted often, uh, by the way. In, in, this, in this respect. And here's what it says. Second John, uh, starting in verse uh, 5. Well, verse 6. And he says, And this is love, that we should walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Listen closely. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. People ask oftentimes, who's the antichrist? Who do you think the antichrist is? Is it the Pope? Is it the Pope? Is it uh, George Bush? That's what someone told me um, on Mill Avenue once while I was doing evangelism. There was uh, George Bush. Is it uh, Barack Obama? Is it uh, this? Uh, is it the Pope of Rome? Is it the Bishop of Rome? Well, here's what the text says. It says that the person who does not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, that is God in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. What's the context? Uh, well, in the first century, around this time, you've got the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John confronting the early stages, the beginnings of or at least the growth of Gnosticism. And uh, these were enemies of the church. They were enemies of the truth. And the Apostle John is writing this letter to a church. It's specifically addressed to the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also who knows the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So the Apostle John is writing this letter to a house church and he's warning them against those who deny that God has come in the flesh. And he says that such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now watch what he says to them. He says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead or everyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked deeds. Now, who's this written to? It's written to a church, a little house church. They didn't meet in big, in big cathedrals. They, we weren't there yet. We didn't have big stained glass windows. The church was highly organized. However, they met at the time in like little house churches, like many times people do around the world today. And they met in little house churches, very organized, but house churches. And the Apostle John writes this letter, and he's warning them, you do not let... These Gnostics, those who deny that God has come into the flesh, you do not let them cross the threshold into your fellowship. You do not give them a greeting. You do not give them entrance into your community, your communion. You do not let them in. And John says, 
If you deny that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, you don't have God. If you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. And John's telling these early Christians in the church context, this letter would have been read in church, by the way, um, not to let these deceivers across the threshold. And so this has nothing to do, by the way, with the Christian church engaging in outreach and evangelism to the world. I say if Mormons come to your home, if they come to your door and they knock on your door, that is God bringing the fish to your boat. Praise God. I don't do a lot of fishing, but I can tell you I would really appreciate it if somebody told me exactly where they're at. We went uh, to our uh, staff retreat uh, not too long ago, and we did some fishing. Uh, Evie, Luke's daughter, caught a fish, little fish, but she caught a fish. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch any fish. No. They did not want to bite my little hook. No. And it's very frustrating. We were there for hours, and we were there for two days and didn't catch a single fish. It's very frustrating. <laughs> I would love it if somebody told me where the fish were at so I knew exactly where to cast the net or to get them. But the beautiful thing about God bringing a Mormon to your door is the fish come right to your boat. Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men, and that's what he does. And so we go fishing. The beautiful opportunity presented to us when a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness come to your door, I mean, it can't, I can't really, I mean, you can't really put it into words. That's amazing. You get to preach the gospel. You don't have to go looking for them. I mean, think about it for a moment here. This is just an important kind of path we need to get on here. We as Christians think constantly about missions, like being on mission uh, in our local communities, in our families, um, in the city that we live in, and, and, and training and raising up missionaries to go out to Kenya and to the unreached people groups in the world and to send missionaries to places where people's, people's heads can be cut off, all those different things. Send people to Detroit and to Kauai. We're like, let's prepare, let's send. We want to go find them. Where are they at? Let's go get them. And then all of a sudden... You're at your home on a Saturday morning and 7 a.m. Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon, right at your door. You didn't need to go find them. They are right in front of you. It's a beautiful opportunity to preach the gospel to them. I say, like Dr. Walter Martin said, if they come to your door, you invite them in for milk and cookies. You Mm -hmm. do whatever it takes to get the gospel to them. This text, 2 John, has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not Christians should allow unbelievers and those who do not believe in the same gospel into their homes. If you want to stretch that to its logical conclusion, be consistent. Mm -hmm. That means no plumber allowed in your home at 1 a.m. when your pipes burst who is not bringing the doctrine of Christ. It means you do not let a roofer into your home when, or on top of your home, (laughs) when, (laughs) does it qualify if it's on top, Um, on top of your home when your roof caves in. It it would mean you don't let an air conditioning specialist into your home when your air conditioning busts in Arizona in 120 degree heat in July right? Be consistent. It means you do not let a pool service guy into your home who does not bring the doctrine of Christ. It would mean so many different things. It would mean no more family get-togethers at Christmas for that uncle or brother or sister or father or mother who does not bring the doctrine of Christ. You you get what I'm saying? You cannot cannot consistently hold to that position, A, exegetically, and B, practically. It doesn't work. And by the way, and encouragement, you don't have to worry about it. This text is to the church. It's about those who do not bring the doctrine of Christ. It is about false teachers being, being allowed into the community. And I want to say this. Have we held to this at Apology at Church? Absolutely. Yes. It has happened to us. Do you remember Pastor Luke a couple years ago 
when homeboy came to the church, real weird dude came in first day, hell, like after church, wanted to like cross examine me for like an hour and a half and just talk and talk and talk. And we discovered within a couple of days, like three or four short days, this guy was a false teacher, a heretic. He was given false prophecy. Yeah, it was crazy. And so I told him publicly, you are not to come near my church. You are not to talk to the people of my church. You are not welcome. And he was just aghast. How could you tell me I couldn't come to your church? I said, well, because you're a false prophet. You need to repent of your sin and the false God that you preach and the false gospel that you preach. And I told everybody at Apology of Church that I can get my hands on. I said, you do not talk to this man. You, I, that's my fault now. That was me. That's what See, you get. Guilt. That's Jesus Hypocrisy. I just preached a sermon on hypocrisy on, yep. on Sunday. On hypocrisy. On hypocrisy. On that Anyways... Um, so yeah, we've held to this and, uh, that's how you hold to it. So I hope that answers your question. Oh. And now we got more. This is really exciting. There's some good ones coming up. Joy. Hey, just so the moral of that story is we should preach the gospel to the nations. We, <laughs> <laughs> we should preach the gospel to everybody that we possibly can at all times. As a matter of fact, I'm going to quote it. It's, it has a specific context to a specific audience, but the principle is the same. Second Timothy four verse two, it says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word, preach the word y'all. Right? Yes. Right. Am I right? Yes. You're right. Am I right? You're right. Do I? Am yep. I right or am I right? Moving forward yep. until and okay, thank you. Okay. Hey Amen. I really hope the <laughs> I really hope the lady who just asked that question listens to this podcast because that was a great, great answer. Amen. This is Matt Dallas from Sanford, Florida. What's up, Matt? Every time Marcus does the voice of Bane, he reminds me of Meatwad from that one show on uh, the old Adult Swim show. It is Jerry that does Bane. Yes. But I do Miwad. Marcus, why did I think it's you? That's crazy. Meatwad? Yeah, Meatwad. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, that's the Meatwad. I have never seen this. I don't know even know who Meatwad is. He's like a little meatball. Luke had a meatball stuck in his tooth this morning. It wasn't a meatball, it was garlic steak. Is some <laughs> like a Nickelodeon yeah. cartoon or something? Adult Swim. I know what you're talking about, but I never All watched it. All I know that. is okay. I've seen some commercials for shows that okay. air on that channel, and Marcus, shame on you. <laughs> Hi, my name's Lorna. Thank you so much for uh, all you guys do. And I was listening to one of the episodes and you guys were talking about how one of the documentaries you made was only worth $5,000 and how Planned Parenthood was responding to something that was made just off of $5,000. Like, oh, babies are murdered here. Um, and I just, that was just really encouraging to me. I actually talked to someone else about it and was able to encourage other people about it. And I've been talking about that documentary to everybody that will, that will listen. Um, and I just really appreciate you guys challenging me personally, um, not only to study harder and to be consistent in my lifestyle, but to not be scared to um, try and make a difference, and not only in the lives around me, but in the culture and the community um, legislation any way that I can. So I just really thank you guys for being faithful, um, for the awesome videos and the awesome podcast, for the jokes. Even though I have never met you in person, y'all are dear to my heart, and I talk about you guys all the time. So thank you so very much, and I love you guys, and pray for you guys all the time. Thank you. Best. Thank you. Ever. That Glory. was great. Praise God. 
Hey, that was awesome. Thank you for that encouragement. That was a real gift. Thank you. That was just awesome. Seriously. Okay. Glory. The next one, I'm telling you. What's up, dudes? This is my Mark the body Scotland, just to say thanks to Jeff, Luke, Mr. Pittman, and I think your abortion now is absolutely great. So just to say thank you so much, man. You make my life totally different. I go to my own church, but absolutely brilliant. I just what a show. All access, man. Keep it good news. Keep it the gospel, but definitely keep it all access. Apologia. Yeah. was absolutely epic. Now we have to act, we have to kill and 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 run this into the ground. Would you be willing to train all the days from, from this day, day to that for one chance, just, just one chance for all access. And tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take. Goosebumps every time I just hear that. It's still I one of the best movies of yeah. all time. So with all access, you're free to watch any show at any time. You do have freedom. That's what on demand yeah. gives you. It's complete freedom. Complete yeah. freedom. Yeah. We give you your freedom. How cool is it? <laughs> listen, that we have listeners in Scotland, in Australia, in New Zealand, in Africa, in Canada, South America, Japan. We have um, we have listeners. That listen to us in in highly persecuted areas of the world. We've even uh, received emails from, uh, well, a specific email I'm thinking of, an email from a person that is um, in a place where you can be killed for being a Christian in a uh, Muslim-dominated area, and he listens to Apologia Radio, and he says it's just blessing his life, encouraging him, equipping him, and uh, that's just incredible that God is doing so much with Apologia Church and the outreach that, that, that God is doing through this little community, it really is powerful. Because I was saying this on Sunday, I think. I say it often. Like, when you come to Apologia Church, people visit us all the time. We have people that visited us from Australia that listened to the show yeah. uh, two weeks ago. When they come in, generally, the first response is like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is such a small church. I mean, I, at most on a Sunday, if everybody was there all at once, it would be like 200 people. And here's a church with 200 people that has an outreach arm and um, an apologetics ministry that reaches to the ends of the earth. I mean, it really is phenomenal. God has done it all. But it's such a gift. And so thank you. That was an awesome, awesome, awesome uh, did you, glory line. Did you see the that Scottish dad yes. over on Facebook? Hilarious. No. I'm trying to find it. You have to play it when we get back. Okay. All right, guys, quick break. We're going to come right back, guys, with some theological content. We're actually, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very excited today to do um, a lot of, a lot of um, conversation about eschatological stuff. Now, we do it, we do it quite often on Apologia Radio. We think it's important. The substance is important. The topic is very important. And here's the thing. Even if you disagree... Um, with our eschatological position, that's okay. That's that's perfectly fine. Um, but I think today what we do is more of an apologetic nature. So so take that. Even if you happen to disagree, um, say you're on mill um, or pre mill or whatever, um, I think what you learn today in some of the texts that we touch should make you love Jesus more, and it should make Jesus look more amazing in your own heart and mind. Uh, however. It's also very, very effective apologetic content. 
And so I think it'll bless you. Stay with us. Get ready. Because when we come back, we're going to have some more fun and talk theology. Eschatology. Right? Oh, yeah. People get ready. People get ready. Jesus is coming soon. We'll be going home. Joy, did you see that in worship? Probably. Probably, yeah. Crystal Lewis, baby. All right, y'all. Be right back. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall protect your manlyhood an epic combination of manliness and manhood if you're hearing this today there is hope for your beard go to yukonsbeard.com and enter the code apologia and you can save some money while you save your face because i flow What's happening right now um, in his ears? I love the song. Good. He's <laughs> bad lip reading Walking Dead. One of the best ever. Yeah, so bad lip reading is one of the most genius things yeah, of our generation. It really is. Do you see the most recent one where they did the Democratic debate between, um, uh, I can't even think right now, Sanders and uh, Clinton? And the way that they did it wasn't just. Um, like voiceover stuff, you know, the crazy stuff that bad lip reading always does. But like they made it like its entire own skit where they had them acting out these parts that had nothing to do with what they were really saying. <laughs> and it was just fantastic. I mean, they made it just it's so well. So if you haven't checked out bad lip reading on YouTube, bad lip reading is really amazing. So, uh, yeah, it really is. It's good. It's good stuff. Uh, so- oh, did you see the Michael Buble one? Like the from yes. when they first started, mm-hmm. where they took one of his songs right. and they they did the music video, changed the music, changed everything. Michael Bublé did a special like shout out to yeah. it. He, he loved it. Yeah, he's like it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> and it was actually a good song. <laughs> and they just used the music video, changed everything. So yeah, okay, Luke, you got something for us? I'm just I'm just noticing right now how much Jerry looks like the Rush Dooney meme right now that I made a while ago. Oh wow, yeah, does he? You flip your uh, laptop around so I can see that. See this? See this, May May? Oh, <laughs> oh man! It's kind of yeah. creepy, actually. Yeah, it so looks like Kenny. That's <laughs> just like a time lapse. What's the time yeah. lapse app? You need right to there. just. Um, you need. I'll have to get a picture just going like that. Do it, yeah. And then, and then we'll do a side, by, do side. side by side. Get some I, don't good, Luke, uh, I don't think Luke understands it's, and no one can see his right, face on the radio. It's good to get some Jerry, good, Jerry good can, visual humor on the show that it's not recorded. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that picture supposed to be a picture of Mortimer? No. Oh. 
I thought it okay. was. No, okay. So, anyway, so. That's so that Scottish dad. Yeah, Scottish video. dad. Right. It's Hilarious. Really funny. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Play it. Maybe you saying? Because I'm not letting you get a boyfriend. Why not? Because you're not getting one. Dad, I'm going to get a boyfriend. Daddy will break his legs. No. Yes, I will. Dad, I'm... And guess what will happen after that? What? See your boyfriend's daddy. Mm -hmm. Daddy will take him hostage and keep him in a cupboard. Dad, listen. I want a boyfriend. I want a you're not going to have a boyfriend, you're going to be a man. You're going to be a nun. You're going to work for Jesus. No, no, I'm going to get a boyfriend. They're who you're going to work for. They're who you're going to work for. End of story. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Does it end there or is there more? That's it, yeah. yeah, it ends. Oh, man. It's you're so funny. Work for Jesus. Jesus. That's amazing. That's fantastic. <laughs> Cute little Merida in the background. Right, Take a seriously yeah. new YouTube channel, and I'd watch all of those. That's amazing. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Luke, let's do a quick thing on BuzzFeed. Let's have some fun before we get into the theological discussion. Uh, BuzzFeed, introduce us, sir. Okay, so I'm going to read some tweets about one of our favorite stores. I think the majority of us here like this store. I like Ikea. Yeah. I, I, like, like, I like that Ikea. you can go there for two bucks and, and feed your kids. Uh, <laughs> they're Swedish meatballs. Are, sw are sweet. They're Swedish. They're sweet balls. They're <laughs> awesome. Their vegan meatballs are pretty great too. They're vegan meatballs. They have vegan meatballs. <sighs> they do. What? But every time, I, every time we go there, Jeff, I try to get the mashed potatoes, and they won't give them to me because I get the vegan meatballs. What? No, you've been there, and I'm arguing with the staff every time, and they're like. We can't like give the TSA you, up in there. They're like, we can't give you mashed potatoes with vegan meatballs because mashed potatoes are not vegan. Yeah. And I'm like, well, just give them to me anyway. And they're like, <laughs> we can't because... They're we, highly principled. They're, they're highly principled. Okay. And I guess they don't want the mashed potatoes to touch the vegan meatballs just, and ruin it Just tell it for them everybody. you're ordering some potatoes for your kid or something. Yeah, Mark, Marcus, what you need to do is that once you get the meatballs... You then need to self-identify as a non-vegan and let them know that, and that just square everything uh -huh. away. Self-identification. Yeah. That, wow. That's, that's the new yeah. thing. Okay. That's hardcore. I can yeah. do anything with that. I know. It's the answer to all my problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This, this, okay. this royal robe's getting warm now. I'm going to take it off. Okay. Somebody turn the fan off. I'm going okay. to borrow that. All right. Anyways. Uh, okay. So here's some tweets that are really funny. Uh, this tweets one says, about Ikea. Tweets, yeah, from, like, people at Ikea, like, tweeting from the store. This one says, I'm already overwhelmed by this place, and I'm only in the parking garage. That's, <laughs> true. That's pretty true. It's true. Uh, next one. Every time I come here, I wish I would have the foresight to bring a U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, um, Ikeas have a U-Haul yes. uh, truck company yeah. next they door know. to them. Oh, that's uh, true. U-Haul's wise. They're like, that's we true. know. We know. Because you end up with, like, six million boxes. Um, I do something that's kind of sinful at Ikea. Um, okay. They have the family parking spot. You know what I'm talking about? Uh -huh, the family yeah. parking spot. Which I try to take advantage and, of. And sometimes I will pull in I there with my family. family, and I will see people get out of their cars there that do not have a family. It is just them parking there because it's super close. 
And when they look, you can tell they're guilty. It's written all over their faces. And I try my very best to make sure they make eye contact with me so I can give them the stink eye. You look at them and you're like, you don't have a family. You don't have a family. You're all alone in this world. Yeah. <laughs> Park somewhere else. <laughs> they, have, they have parking spaces for you people over yeah. there. <laughs> you need to walk. Okay. Okay, next one. Buying only what you want or only what you went to Ikea to buy is not a thing. That's true. That's true. Yep. I usually end up with five bags of frozen meatballs. I don't like to go with candy because she because if we go there for one thing, I go, I know where that's at in the entire place. It's massive. And I go and I'm like, let's go to that thing and then let's go right downstairs and let's leave. She wants to walk the entire track upstairs and downstairs. And then she has a cart and she fills it up with stuff. And this is what we do. It's her tradition. She fills. You know, Joy. You already yes, know what I'm gonna say, I don't you? Know. You know I exactly know. what I'm gonna say. She fills the card up, and then she walks to the registers, and she goes, "Never mind. <laughs> I don't want any of this. I don't want any of this stuff." Like wow. she, that actually satisfies her if she gets to hold on to it just for a little bit she of time. She is happy to own it just while she's in the store. And then she's like, "I got my fill." Right. She never gets buyer's remorse because mm. she gets it at the register, <laughs> and she goes, "No thanks." Now wow. it makes sense. Candy never stopped. Sending stuff back. She just stopped doing it at restaurants and yeah. did it elsewhere. Restaurants. Yeah, restaurants. restaurants. <laughs> you know, IKEA now has uh, like a bulk candy section. Yeah, you like what? pay by the pound. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, no, but it's not that sweet it's because it's very deceptive. Because you're like, these Blah. are some really Blah. awesome looking <laughs> candies. Yeah, and they have Swedish fish, and they're all they all they taste don't like meatballs. <laughs> I got some that I was really excited about, and they were the nastiest thing in the world. There was like one that literally anise tasted flavored. like someone took seawater and made it into a gummy. Yeah, wait and a second, I was no. like sweet. choking. I did it get was that. so nasty. I, I did was like, get that. Ah! I did get that. It's I, gross, right? Yeah, and, and uh, I thought it, the gummies were amazing. Um, the seawater ones? I love the gummies. Are you talking about the, um, there's this particular kind of flavor that's very famous in Europe, and it's all over like the gummies, and it's, uh, what's the, what's the, 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 the thing? I'll, I'll get it. I'll okay, get it. I'll get it. But, I, but I think it might be the one you're talking about. Okay. And I personally enjoy it. Oh. Just me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next one. I'm pretty sure I bent space time in Ikea tonight. There's no way I was in there for three hours. Happens. Yes, it happens. Yep. Every time. Every time. Trying to find an item with a name so ridiculous the staff can't figure <laughs> out what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I want a bookcase for the books I don't have. That's true. Yeah. Yep. Like, oh, that's a cool piece of furniture. I want that. Yeah. I don't need it, but yeah. I want it. Yeah, I have, I have uh, two other bookcases. Actually, we have a bookcase from there inside the writer's room. We do. Actually, we do. Actually, half the stuff in here is probably from Ikea. That thing's from Ikea. Yeah. We got some Marcus's chairs from Ikea. Here. Yeah. We Your should be sponsored from by Ikea. Them. Yeah. She, Ikea. No, she's not. Look it up. <laughs> Ikea. Uh, Ikea. Don't you want the gospel to go around <laughs> the world? Come on, Ikea. <laughs> that one's not that funny. I'm skip that one. Um, came in here with a lot more hope than what I'm leaving with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, hour six in Ikea, she decided on the white dresser. Thank the Ikea gods. Now we can finally get cinnamon buns. <laughs> That's funny. The cinnamon buns are very good, too. They are. They yeah. are. Yeah. Like That's a, the only way I was able to get out of IKEA. Is I would just I had to start following the smells. That's towards the front. That's true. Yeah, they they trick you because you have to go through the maze mm-hmm. to get right. down to the cinnamon. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, <laughs> managed to find what I wanted in at IKEA in only seven minutes. Not only to escape. If you don't hear hear from me in five hours, call someone. 
<laughs> That's yeah, true. It's, yeah. I just, uh, I stopped. I just, just stopped, stopped in for some candles. Now that I just spend $124. How did I spend $124? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you end up buying lamps to, like, go with the candles. Every day. Yeah. Every Luke, day. Luke. Yes. Just real quick, I have got, uh, I was at Ikea recently, and doing some adulting, and some adulting. <laughs> Congratulations on that, by the way. I know, I know. It's a uh, late bloomer, but it's all good. So, I go into Ikea the other week, and within five minutes I'm look, uh, of going into Ikea, I, this guy comes up to me, and you know those people you talk to, they're just a vortex, and you just cannot break eye contact? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So this guy comes up to me, he's like, hey, how's it going? Where are you from? Yeah, I'm from Tucson. Me and my wife are coming up here, and I can't. I just can't break away. You like, creep, I'm, you I'm creep me out. Just, just telling me the story. Yeah. <laughs> and next thing you know, he just sort of transit this awkward transition. He's like, "Yeah, I don't know if you'd ever be open to learning how to make ten thousand dollars a month part time from oh, home." Oh, I Would see. Would you be interested in that? Huh? Huh? <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh." Like I had to, I forget what I said. I made up something. Like I've well, got. Was her- he selling Plexus? He <laughs> 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 oh, just got Plexus juice. Uh, yeah, I actually told, I actually told Candy that that's, she was, and she good. was laughing. But he's like nice, created nice different by throwing yeah. pillows and. I basically said something to the extent like I'm having to buy some materials to paint my mailbox back home, and I gotta get get I gotta get going to that. Gotta and get so, to painting. Yeah, I gotta You're get buying me. supplies at IKEA to paint your mailbox. I'm thinking of like the most. <laughs> no one ever does that. I'm just trying okay. to make up something. Oh, no, that was pretty out. much it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. All right, IKEA. Was it on BuzzFeed? Yeah. Yeah. BuzzFeed's gonna eventually run out of lists. <laughs> I know it's been a while since they had good ones. I know they're failing. Yeah, they are failing. When they started really, really coming out with their liberalism, they started failing. I think it's all the stupid quizzes. Yeah. It's like, what's your What's your favorite Disney movie based off of your Zodiac sign? Mm-hmm. Pick a puppy and we'll tell you which celebrity you should date. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> we, <laughs> need <to> make, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> we need to make those BuzzFeed are, I'm pretty again. sure I didn't make those up. I'm pretty sure those were on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I go into Ikea, I'm there to do business. I walk in. I know where I'm going. I know what's going to happen. And when people look at me that are there, I just (laughs) (laughs) look at me. I just I I look them in the eyes and (laughs) I saw, dude. All right, so um, hey, uh, let's let's talk eschatology. You guys ready for that? Always, always. Okay, so I told you, Bobby's ready. I told you we were going to do this (laughs) in a way that would bless everybody uh, because it would be apologetic in nature. And I think that you will see Jesus as more incredible than you already do when you really look at the biblical narrative and see uh, God in his sovereignty decreeing the end from the beginning, telling us in his revelation before it takes place what was going to happen in the life and ministry of the Messiah. And so that's what we're going to do. It's important to engage this subject, no matter where you stand as a Christian. And I'm going to say at the outset, Christians all agree on eschatology in terms of the nuts and bolts and the big stuff. So, for example, every Christian confesses and believes that Jesus Christ is going to return physically. He is going to return and um, bring the final judgment of the just and the unjust we are going to live forever in the presence of God, 
um, glorified bodies and the resurrection. We all agree on that. Christians do disagree. We do disagree with one another. We have for 2,000 years um, on some of the details leading up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it's important to recognize at the outset, while there are disagreements, there is fundamental agreement and unity around the essential parts and pieces. And so uh, you have early Christians that can be seen as premillennial. You have early Christians that can be seen as postmillennial. You have early Christians that can be seen as amillennial. And so this becomes very confusing when you begin to study of eschatology because every side, every position ultimately can point to church fathers and people in history that hold to their views. So like, for example, St. Athanasius. Uh, yes, that Athanasius, the Athanasian Creed, um, uh, Athanasius against the world, contra mundum, the, the man who stood essentially alone at that time. He is the patron saint of postmillennialism. Some of the stuff that he said about the kingdom and the Messiah and the victory of Jesus in the world is epic, straight, awesome postmillennialism. And so um, it becomes confusing because you can have you have statements from Christians that are even contradictory in history in regards to eschatology, and so the important thing for us to do is that while we disagree with one another, um, we are together on the essentials. We have fundamental unity, but it's important for us to get together and sharpen up over this. Because here's the deal: this is really important. When someone say says I'm a pan millennialist, I believe it'll all pan out in the end. Um, I think that's respectfully a very very wrong headed way to take this because God has spoken so much about this. I mean, consider the fact that there are entire chapters dedicated to the subject from Old Testament to New Testament. And so if we were to say, well, you know, we can't figure it out, good men and good women disagree on this issue, I I think we're really underestimating the perspicuity of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture. Now, we might say, well, then why do so many Christians disagree on eschatology? Well, the answer, I think, is pretty simple. Tradition. We all have traditions. Now, I'm going to be the first to confess it right now as we go. I'm going to introduce something kind of fun here with Jerry. I'll be the first to confess something. I have been really, really aware of my traditions after having them checked and being corrected. I mean, I held to dispensational premillennialism um, in... I, I can't I can't I can't describe to you if you really want to know ask my wife how serious I was about it it was my thing all day every day all I wanted Third to talk day. about was dispensational premillennialism I went to the I went to borders every week to get the Jerusalem post to see the most current events in Jerusalem so I can interpret those to see how that fit with revelation I Tim LaHaye was my homeboy you know I'm I mean Hal Lindsey all these prophet, prophecy writers were um, the guys that I went to. If I read a book, it was on eschatology. I was dispensational premillennial. And I went to a dispensational premillennial Bible college, and I got 100% and bonus points and all the tests, all the exams, all the homework. It was my thing. I was dedicated to it. And when I began to be challenged that the things that I was saying were not consistent with Scripture, and I began to get convicted over that. I decided to go to the Scriptures as they were to say, God, you show me and you correct me. If I'm wrong, I want to know. And I began to study the Scriptures just as they are to see how does the story come together and began to see that what I was believing wasn't jiving with the text as it was. And so all that to say 
that I think the reason there are disagreements is we all have traditions. And like, of course, I say often, Dr. White has said, the person who says they have no traditions is the one who has plagued with the most of them because it means you're not looking for them. And so the, the real key thing here is to, is to note that it is not the scriptures that are unclear or confusing or muddy on the issue. It is our traditions that need to get checked and looked at, and uh, we need to be cross-examined by the scriptures. And so that's it. So we're, we're going to get into eschatological issues right now. But today we live in a day and time where there is a lot of uh, moral decay. There is a lot of difficulty in the world. The gospel is expanding. It is experiencing life and reformation and revival in a lot of foreign nations. Americans don't often notice that because we're seeing the moral decay of our own culture. I think that has a lot to do with eschatology. And when Christians began buying into pessimillennialism and embracing it, swallowing it whole, we lost our culture. You hit what you aim at. And if we believe we fail in history and the church dies and it has to die for Jesus to return, then we're going to live accordingly. That's the truth. And so, um, but uh, we live in a day and time where there's so much social, social decay, moral decay in our nation that you look on YouTube, just do this. Type in the tribulation has begun or the tribulation today in YouTube and look at the scores and scores. I mean, myriads and myriads to use a biblical phrase um of of videos on youtube about the tribulation happening now predictions failed i mean i looked up some videos that people were saying the tribulation began in 2009 2010 2011 2012 every year it's a new video and so we live in a time where people are singing the songs they you know the songs right y'all you know oh yeah you know let me just say I, and I mean this, when I hear this song, it brings back so much nostalgia and like feelings because I can tell you right now, honest to our God, I was at the pool in my apartment complex as a newly married couple with my wife. She's in the apartment with our new son and I was like, I'm going to go to the pool and I grabbed my left behind book. I went to the pool. I had my, I think, Walkman or CD player (laughs) at the time and I'm telling you right now, I read the book left behind. I was wishing myself into rapture and I absolutely remember listening to these kinds of songs. It was just an amazing experience and uh know this i am in no I used way to jam to that song yeah. all day i bet you did marcus that was my yeah that was the song yeah i i don't want people to get confused here i'm not dissing the beautiful truth that Jesus is returning mm-hmm. and that he is returning to bring the final judgment mm-hmm. and that he's going to take us to be with him. But I, I am actually questioning whether Jesus is coming, quote unquote, soon. I well, that's th- what the Bible says. I Well, he does say that. It says, I'm coming soon. It, cer- it certainly does. Certainly. It, it certainly does say Jesus is coming soon. It says he's coming quickly. It says he's coming soon. It and says the time is at hand. And what does she mean by his going home? Um, and it absolutely does. 
And it, that was in the first century. And they expected, and we're going to see in a moment here, the imminent judgment and destruction of the temple and the return of Christ and judgment upon that generation before they all died. So absolutely, soon meant soon, near meant near, at hand meant at hand. But here's what I say about Jesus coming soon. Is he coming back? Absolutely. But 1 Corinthians 15 ought to be our timeline. And in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul clearly says, just go read it, brothers and sisters. He clearly says that Psalm 110.1 holds that Jesus is reigning now and that he's putting all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy after every enemy is defeated will be death. And then what? He doesn't return to bring the kingdom, as the premillennialist scheme says. It says that he returns to deliver the kingdom to the Father after all things are put in subjection to Jesus. So it goes, every enemy defeated and then death. And then Jesus returns to give the kingdom to the Father after all things are put in subjection to Jesus. So I would look at the world around us today and I would ask this question. I would say, does it look like the world is in submission to Jesus today? I would say, we have a ways to go. How do we get there? The gospel. The proclamation of the gospel. And so I do believe, and we're going to talk about it today, Marcus, it is relevant that Jesus says that he's coming soon. It's very relevant. But what did he mean by it? Bring us in to the current context where we have all kinds of prophecy pundits and we have all it's kinds very of hard to, moons. It's very, all sorts of craziness. What's it's up, very Marcus? hard to listen to what Jeff is saying right now because I'm just jamming to the background. I know. I know. It's so good. I know. Oh, man. All right. Marcus, what was the other thing that happened last year? Was it the Shishamama? Shamama, <laughs> your mama, your mama, Well, no, no, no. It was, uh, Jonathan Kane. It was like Shamama or something like that. Well, let me see what. Uh, let me well, see. Well, there's a guy named Harold who went camping for a date at the end of the world. Harold camping. My son Sage and I listened to family radio every single night when Harold camping was making his prediction, mm-hmm. and uh, and we had a, a, a wondrous time as a father and a son. We uh, we absolutely loved it. I know that it's an awful thing and he was a false prophet and people were deceived, but listening to that thing was like watching a train wreck. It really, really was. Harold camping. Did what? you listen to it after the date? Too? Because uh, that was good too. Yes. Oh, oh, here it is. It's not the Shamama, it's the Shemida. Shemida. Oh. Yeah, you were off a little bit. Yeah, Shema, Shemama. I thought it was a, your mama glory. <laughs> yeah, your mama glory. Um, anyway, so what, like people like Jonathan Cain and, uh, and John Hagee, listen, they are not unique in Christian history. First, get that. They are not unique in Christian history. They are the same old thing. There is nothing new under the sun. You have Christians a couple hundred years ago taking Bible passages, proof texting, and applying them to things like the locomotive and um, to to possibly to handguns. Uh, every time we come to a new techno- technological advancement, there are people who profess faith in Jesus Christ that apply texts in the Bible to that new advancement and say, these are the last days. This is the time of the great tribulation. And so people are always applying the Bible to... Um, uh, the modern times in terms of prophecy and getting it wrong. People like Jonathan Cain aren't unique. Harold Camping isn't unique. There was a guy who wrote a book, 88 Reasons Jesus Will Return in 1988. Mm-hmm. The book was a bestseller. It sold a bunch of copies and Jesus didn't return in 1988. And what did the guy do? 
He ran with his money and the book goes away. People forget. And then the next year, a new book comes out that says, oh, no, we got it a little off and it's going to happen now. Jesus is returning for the rapture. 89 reasons. Yeah. And there's nothing nothing new under the sun. What's interesting, (laughs) though, when you talk about nothing being new under the sun, under the sun yeah um the biography about joseph smith no man knows my history right, right. brody if you read that book you'll find out that palmer new york where he put together and he transcribed the book of mormon with all the different pieces it wasn't just him it was a, the whole place was just a threshing ground of cults yes and each one of them had the shakers had, had a yeah. shaker and, and just all sorts of crazy eschatology there was a group that believe that Christ was coming back on a certain day, and they all specifically yeah. bought white robes and gathered in a certain area. And yeah. I'm sure when that didn't happen, I'm sure in that time there's a very awkward silence for a little bit. Yeah. And like, so, yeah. <laughs> um, what? So next, do you want to come to church next Sunday? So again? what's up, y'all? Help and me paint my mailbox. Well, here's so, you know, this is interesting, <laughs> just because the 1800s <laughs> yeah. and people are saying the exact same well, things that they're saying now. You nailed it. I mean, I'm actually glad you brought that up because it reminded me that um, <laughs> it, it hasn't just been Christians, professing Christians, that are actually Orthodox that have said all that have made these claims Jesus returning this year this month and sold books and made money and had prophecy conferences and everything else it's not just professing believers it is the genesis of many of the cults that have actually um, uh, actually uh, began in on on this soil in America I'll give you an example in the 19th century Mormonism it is an eschatological last days cult I mean, the whole entire system is based upon a false eschatology. So when someone says eschatology is not important, I'm not going to pay attention to it, okay. But you need to understand that not knowing the answers to these things, these very important questions, um, actually stops you from being able to minister in an effective way to the cults oftentimes. Because you look, I mean, think about it. It's in the name. The Church of Jesus Christ of what? What? Latter-day Saints. Saints. Latter-day Saints. What's it? The last day saints. They believe, Joseph Smith taught, the early Mormon prophets and apostles taught that Jesus Christ was returning in that generation. Now, by the way, he wasn't saying that simply as an isolated guy, that nobody else was saying it. That was in the air, in the atmosphere. As a matter of fact... It was uh, during the 19th century that the Schofield Reference Bible came out. That is the origin of um, the popular belief today of the seven years of tribulation and the, the, the rapture situation, all those things. Like the Schofield Reference Bible gave rise to that yeah. fever in our nation. And so that was the 19th century. So listen, yeah. you've got the Schofield Reference Bible. You've got Joseph Smith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and... Charles Taze Hustle. Thank you very much. You've got near the end of the 19th century, You've got Charles Taze Russell. And what was that? The Morning Dawn Bible Society or Bible Students? That was a cult that was um, started around what? False eschatology. Mm -hmm. Jesus was returning at any moment. And they have many false prophecies in the 20th century of Christ's return and fail. And Christ's return and fail. Yeah, and also, if you've ever had the privilege of having a um, Jehovah's Witness knock on your door... They'll give you a lovely magazine called Awake. Right. And I don't think you can go through one magazine of Awake without dealing with some sort of crazy eschatology. That's right. That's it's right. An es- it's an escalat- It's an end times eschatological cult. That's right. Exactly right. And so the, it was an important... Yeah. And here's the thing. Listen, here's what makes this, this subject so difficult um, with Christians. It's difficult because we have so many presuppositions attached 
to particular proof texts and to particular language used in the Bible. So, for example, like Hagee's Hagee's thing, when when he says the blood moon, the sun will be darkened, the moon turned to what? Blood. Where does he get that from? Mm. Matthew 24. But where did Jesus get that from? That's the question to ask. Not where did John Hagee get it, but where did Jesus get it? He was quoting from somewhere. Did you know that? And did you know that where Jesus was quoting from, that was language used before when God condemned a pagan nation and he was going to overthrow them and destroy them? And then Jesus turns around and uses that same exact text. It was for a pagan nation to begin with. And he applies it now to Jerusalem in regard to the destroyed temple. And so here's the thing. There are so many different traditions and presuppositions attached to this discussion. It makes it difficult. And there are also emotional commitments. There are are also Mm -hmm. emotional commitments. When you tell somebody, hey, you should really question whether a secret rapture and seven years of tribulation before the millennial reign of Jesus, you should question that whole system. It becomes such a difficult thing because there's so much connected to it emotionally. And I will give you proof right now. Are you ready? I'm going to prove it to you right now. And if you're from where I'm from, my background, if it's consistent with yours, I, then you know this is tugging at your heartstrings right now. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one's left standing Now, Man, that brings back right, memories of right, youth group. Yeah, Man. Right, right. I mean, I was—I think I said this before on this show a long time ago. When I was uh, in Mortal Kombat, the live tour, um, I was with an American um, group that was overseas. And every night, everybody would go out and party after like t- three shows a day um, in Argentina. I mean, our, our pictures are, 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 are posted all over the city, all over the walls. I mean, seriously, literally all over the walls of the city are these posters of Mortal Kombat, our stage production, Mortimer Kombat. (laughs) And, uh, so our pictures are on the billboards and every night, uh, the crew would go out to the clubs and to parties, special invites. And we'd come into a club and we'd show up and they would announce it. The DJ would announce Mortal Kombat. The crew is here and the whole club would go crazy. And so everybody that I was with was involved in some bad, bad stuff. I mean, I walked into a room once and there was a pile of cocaine on the dresser. I walked into a room that was full of a bunch of prostitutes once. And I was at the time a professing believer and I was trying to live for the glory of God. And so listen, let's say how emotionally connected I am to this song. I was in Argentina with Mortal Kombat when this CD came out and I brought it with me and every night... I committed to not go out with the crew to get involved in all that sin they were involved in. And what I did was I sat on my floor while everyone was getting ready to go out and I put my headphones on, had my Bible in front of me and I listened to I Wish We'd All Been Ready over and over and over, listen, as an encouragement not to go and sin with those guys. So I was so emotionally connected to the song. It's what I would listen to to avoid going out with the guys to get involved in all that sin. So I'm very emotionally connected to it, and I understand it. But we have to... There's a lot of details in this story. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Yeah. like time-traveling Jeff. That seems kind of fresh in your mind, man. It's kind of fishy. It's kind of fresh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a lot of emotional uh, connection, too, when you're trying to, especially when you've bought the latest uh, updated revision of what the timeline is for the end of the world. 
for two easy payments in 1995. Yeah. Or so. if you um, have purchased in uh, in uh, very low payment installments, um, end times gravy. Yes. Or the preparedness kit. Yes. Absolutely. Right? What's the other one? Bucket. Someone's milk. Um, no, it's uh, it's it's uh, the guy from uh, Rapture Ratatouille. No, it's it's <laughs> Rapture it's, Rations. Yeah, it's the guy Jim. Is it Jim? The the Baker. Uh, Jim, Jim Baker. Baker. The buckets, and he's selling. Have you seen that? We talked about it on the show. Yeah, yeah. The if you bucks, were a fan of Apology yeah. Radio, yeah. you would know this. Well, yeah. well, you, I work here. I can't be a fan. <laughs> the right uh, Bobby's probably not a fan anymore. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ten times uh, gravy. Yeah, and they sell like the buckets of like the mac and cheese, and right. yeah. it's gross. Yeah, and they have like an an end times name attached to all the food. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, this is an important subject. So here's let's do this. Um, We'll take just a quick break. This is for us, not for you. Um, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive, mac we're gonna dive into the text. I'm going to go into some <laughs> Old Testament texts from Malachi, from Joel, from Isaiah, Daniel. We're going to combine that, again, for an apologetics pursuit. Um, I hope it'll bless you guys. Just get ready. I hope you are all ready. Can you, can you end this segment on some Mortimer combat? Mortimer Kombat? How would I do that? I don't know. Mortimer Kombat! <laughs> I'm curious round, what that would be like. Round one. Fight! Finish him! <laughs> <laughs> What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to whitfield.edu, whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E-F-I-E-L-D.edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. All right. Apologia Radio. Don't forget, ApologiaRadio.com is where you go to get the past episodes. ApologiaRadio.com. Don't forget, you can also sign up for all access. You get all the TV shows. You get the after shows. You get all the additional content. Of course, all the radio shows, but you also participate with us in ministry to get all of the additional content out into the world. All the videos on evangelism, actual on the street evangelism. You get... Um, to participate with us in, in producing content like the content that's coming this Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to drop on Apologia Studios on YouTube. Listen closely. The Ark Encounter. The Ark Encounter is coming. It is us at the Ark 
with Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. We went to the design studio. We went to the Ark. It was amazing. It's a half an hour television program that we are dropping on YouTube for the world to see. I want to encourage you guys to let everybody know about it. Get your groups together. Get your families together. It is a blessing. We watched it last night. Bobby watched it last night. He got to see. Let me uh, let me ask Bobby real fast before we go into the discussion. Um, tell everyone about the Ark Encounter. How you felt about it? Uh, I love Ken Ham, and uh, my family is really excited to to see the Ark, uh, to participate in all that, and and to see everything that he has. It looks so exciting. Um, I think it's amazing what he's doing. Um, I think uh, Ken Ham is a huge blessing to this world, and I'm so glad that he's he's bringing the gospel in in such a different way than. And so many people are doing. I, I just, I just love everything about his ministry that he's doing. So, if you don't know Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis, well, he didn't specifically build it, but he, he, he organized it. It's all him, just uh, like yeah, Noah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And built a life-size <laughs> replica of the Ark. It's like an amusement park for Christians, and we got to go. Pastor, it's Luke, not like an amusement park. Yeah, it is an it amusement, is amusement park. park. Uh, Marcus. Pastor Luke and myself, we went in, special tour. We spent the day with Ken Ham. He was great. He loved us. We loved him. It was really cool. You can see the behind-the-scenes stuff. You can see under construction. It's opening soon. He got in a little eschatology, too. You'll see. He did. A little bit. And I did something to him that I learned that you were not supposed to do to Ken Ham. <laughs> Wise. We, we learned later that you're not supposed to do that. It makes him very uncomfortable. You greet him with a holy kiss. I did it two times. <laughs> you need to see it. <laughs> You need to see his face. I think the second time he rather enjoyed it. <laughs> he and, got used to it. Yeah, he got used to it. I think he liked it. And uh, I think I got away with something that is a no-no with Ken Ham. They told us later, you're not supposed to do that. But I did it because I don't care. Because <laughs> I don't care. And uh, anyway, but you get to watch it. And so see if you can see what I'm talking about when you watch it. 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Apologia Studios on YouTube. We're going to drop it. Let everybody know, y'all. Um, where was I going with that? I was doing something with that. Oh, yeah, I was asking Bobby how I felt about it. So, anyway, you participate with us, and you make all that possible by becoming All Access at $7.95 a month. You get to donate to the Ministry of Apologia Church. You participate with us in ministry, and you make it all possible. And guess what? You get to be put into all the special stuff we do to give away stuff. Like, for example, you could be sitting here the next time we do a meat fest. Maybe we'll do a Meat Fest 2016 2.0. <laughs> and, you, you, and you get to participate. Well, well, maybe, guys, Joy, maybe Joy will actually come this yeah. time. Well, maybe I'll actually know it's happening. <laughs> you knew about it. <laughs> I didn't know about it. The day before. Oh, right, you knew. The day okay, before. Well, see, you did know about it. The day before. I did not. One go day's notice about, about an entire contest. We have and to plan on James flying. White coming next time as well. Yeah. There you go. Aside, dude. <laughs> Aside. Is that what you're going to say to James White if you see him, Bobby? You're going to be like, oh, man. Aside. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do. It'd be bad. Um, I did invite myself. Dr. White last night, but it was last minute, and he chastised me. He said, yeah. some of us still have this thing called a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Yeah. So why is he only got to pray on Wednesdays? Yeah, right. We do. Well, we pray more than Wednesdays. Yeah, I, pray all, I, I pray all day long. Yeah, um, prayed at our meal. I think generally people just like more than one day's notice. Just generally speaking, every time speaking, I ask Doctor White you know, out to really, eat, really he, he usually joy. comes. A lot for me. He usually comes, but I, I usually take a lashing. Because I usually ask him to do stuff very last minute. And you should tell him he's the contest winner. Yeah, you won the contest. <laughs> I know you didn't hear about the contest because we don't really tell people stuff like that. Until but. the day of. <laughs> hey, so you're the winner. <laughs> tomorrow. Get on the plane tomorrow. Right. Yep. All right, so let's get into it. 
here we go. Let's talk about context first. It's really, really important, and I learned this. I discovered this when I was corrected on my eschatology from the scriptures. It's really important to try to avoid simple proof texting when it comes to eschatology. So what I was used to was in Bible college and in my Bible study groups and everything I studied, I had learned a system. Okay, this is the timeline. This is what's going to happen. And I had particular proof texts attached to that system. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, we all need proof texts because you need to be able to go to the text that proves your point. But there's a difference between proof texting within the context of a whole narrative, a whole entire a whole entire stream and line that goes through the scriptures and simply saying, well, here's a concept and there's a verse. We all know what that's like with Arminianism, right? The Arminians chestnut verses. You just need to go to the text and unpack it, get to the context and you realize, oh, it doesn't really say what you're saying. It says there's a context and that's just, that's just very, very um, shallow proof texting. So here's the thing. It's a whole narrative. The Bible tells one story. It's God's story of what he's going to do in history to bring salvation through his Messiah to the ends of the earth. It's about ultimately the kingdom of the Messiah. And that kingdom is salvation. It is under his rule and reign. It is victory in Jesus. Now, that story starts in Genesis chapter 3, right? It goes all the way to to the end of the Bible. Now, when we go to the Old Testament, you see the obvious stuff that we all know about salvation, right? The Messiah is going to bring salvation. So we often go to texts like Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is an entire chapter on the suffering of the Messiah, what he's going to do. He's going to be what? Pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, um, and God is going to lay on him the iniquity of us all. He would be numbered with the transgressors. He'd be counted among the rebels. God was go- he was going to justify the many as he would bear their iniquities. So there's that very, very amazing, vivid portrayal of what Jesus is going to accomplish for his people. But there's more than just he's going to die and rise again. There is a whole story about salvation to the ends of the earth. There is a whole story about his conquering. There is a whole story about his kingdom. And so there's also, by the way, a story about what's going to happen in when the new covenant comes. So it's there's all of this... It's not just one thing. It's a lot of things, but they're together and unified. Like, for example, the Jews understood they had the Old Covenant. The New Covenant was coming. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, 31. They knew the New Covenant was coming. That God was going to remember our sins no more. That he was, uh, that no one's going to need to teach their neighbor, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Jeremiah 31, 31. So the New Covenant was coming. They knew that they were under the Old the new was coming. They knew they had the old covenant and then the kingdom of the Messiah. So the Jews actually understood, listen closely, that there were ultimately two ages. There was that age of the old covenant and God dealing with the people that way. And there was the age of the Messiah to come. They, there was not nothing in their minds about all these different dispensations. There was nothing in their minds um, that is, is such a complex system as we might see in a Bible college today in a dispensational premillennial Bible program. It was fairly simple. Old covenant, new covenant. Old age, new age. The kingdom of the Messiah was on its way. That's what they understood in the Old Testament. So you have passages like Daniel chapter 2 that tells you when the Messiah's kingdom is coming. This is a big one, so make sure you have it in your toolbox. Daniel chapter 2 is the is the really amazing passage that tells you about the dream, right? And in the dream, there are four kingdoms, right? And it says during the time of the fourth kingdom, 
That is when God himself will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Let me just read it to you. In Daniel 2.44, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people's people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So, two things. It's during the time of the fourth kingdom that God brings the Messiah's kingdom. And this is a kingdom that God himself sets up. It says in verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that should never be destroyed. So the third point is it'll never be destroyed. Now, here's a quick question, just as a side. When did Jesus come? During what kingdom? The kingdom of Rome. Now, most Bibles, actually today, modern Bibles, when you get to Daniel's prophecy here, they will even list, well, many of the Bibles will list which kingdoms, like Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greek, Roman, one, two, three, four. And it says, during the time of the fourth kingdom, Rome, that's when the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Well, when Jesus came, what was the first thing out of his mouth when he left the wilderness in Matthew chapter, um, was it four or three? No, four. First thing out of his mouth is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing out of John the Baptist's mouth in Matthew chapter three? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm -hmm. What was on their lips? What was Paul saying at the end of the book of Acts? It says that he's there preaching them, preaching to them and teaching them about the kingdom of God. That was the theme, right? And it was during the time of Rome. So the timing of the kingdom is in Daniel chapter two. It's during the time of the Roman kingdom. And that's, guess what? When Jesus came. So when I told you at the beginning, this would be apologetic in nature, that's what I meant. There's an example. How do we know Jesus is the Messiah? Because he came when the Messiah was supposed to come with his kingdom. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus isn't the Messiah, then there is no Messiah. Because that fourth kingdom has come and gone. Did you catch that? The fourth kingdom has come and gone. Which means to the Jew today that rejects Jesus as Messiah, you got to ask them, well, if Jesus isn't the Messiah, who is? Because that kingdom is gone. It's come and gone. But Jesus did come during the time of Rome and he did say that he set up the kingdom. He said that the kingdom was actually present in his lifetime. Mm -hmm. What is it? You know, you know what I'm talking about. In In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is a mustard seed smallest of the seeds, right? And then it grows and becomes a tree. It's like leaven in a lump of dough. It permeates the entire loaf. But he says to the Jews who are actually saying that he is hooked up with the devil, they say, well, he, of course he's doing these miracles because he's working with Satan. And Jesus says, if I cast out Satan by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Mm-hmm. So it's an if then. If I do this, then this. If I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And Christians got to answer that. Well, did he? Did Jesus cast out demons by the spirit of God? If you answer yes, that means the kingdom of God had come upon them. It came, right? Now, of course, there was a there was a um, a big moment they were anticipating because listen, When the Messiah says his kingdom has arrived, they understood, well, wait a minute, that kingdom is pretty serious, right? And with that kingdom means a new covenant. And if you're really the Messiah and you brought the kingdom, what's this old covenant stuff still doing hanging around? That's one thing that you'd have to ask. 
And another thing is, what about all the nations? Because you're supposed to get all the nations. And so they understood there was like a moment where this is supposed to turn over and get big, right, and grow. And they understood that. They saw it. So um, this is actually one of the... I knew. I'll, I'll I, see if you're going to catch it. I, 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 I know it, that it's coming. So let's give it a second here. Sorry, we we had to we had to pause. Anytime that part comes up, we, gotta, we had to pause for that. Bobby's not impressed. He's like, "What is happening here?" <laughs> He's like, "I'm reading my Bible, fools." Okay, so the next thing I want to point you to, just very briefly, because to tell you the whole story and the narrative. Again, this is all apologetic in nature. Isaiah chapter nine. This is a popular passage. Most Christians know it. It's on all of our Christmas cards, right? Isaiah chapter nine. Notice something very important. And I'm not going to go into this in detail right now, but if you read the first part of Isaiah chapter 9, the very first part, I want you to pay attention to that passage because, listen, Matthew quotes it from the lips, he quotes it in Matthew chapter 3. Is it 4? Sorry, is it, it's 4. Let me, let me get, I'm going to make sure I tell you the right one here. Matthew, I'm going to give you the right reference here, guys, so you can study this later. Matthew chapter 4, sorry. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus... Um, has victory over Satan in the wilderness. In Matthew 4, he quotes Isaiah 9, the first part. Okay, that's relevant. Jesus leaves the wilderness. Satan offers him what? All the kingdoms of the world will be yours if you worship me. And notice he takes Jesus where? To a great and high mountain. Why does he do that? He takes Jesus up to a great and high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says, I give them all to you if you worship me. Jesus says, you should worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Defeat Satan in the wilderness. And then what? It says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15, he quotes Isaiah 9, the first half. Why is it significant? Because Isaiah 9, 6 says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, El Gibor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, that means Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace, listen, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Notice it's progressive. First, notice that it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There'll be no end to it. And it increases. And... It says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now watch. Why don't I bring up Matthew? Because Isaiah 9 is about God coming as a son and as a child, bringing the kingdom that will increase in its government and of peace forevermore. But in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is offered the kingdoms of the world by Satan... He defeats him. It quotes Isaiah chapter 9, the first part. What was that all about? The kingdom of the Messiah. It's quoted about Jesus as a present reality. And then what does Jesus say as soon as it's quoted? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the narrative. The kingdom had arrived. It had come into history. All their dreams, all their hopes fulfilled in Jesus. The kingdom was actually in history. Now it's finally here. God's come as a son and as a child. And now that kingdom has arrived in history. It's going to increase in peace and government. So that's a big one, right? 
But there's another one. I quoted it at the beginning of this episode. Daniel chapter 7. He's looking in the night visions. One like a son of man is coming on the what? Clouds of heaven. And it says he comes where? Up to the Ancient of Days. So he goes up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him is given what? Dominion, glory, and a what? Kingdom. That all peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's what it says. Daniel chapter 7. What did Jesus say? And you can check this out. What did Jesus say to the high priest at his trial? They say, are you a king? He says what? Essentially, yes. And he says, you will see to the high priest. You will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven what they knew what that meant they knew he was saying he was the divine messiah they knew they said it but they they were angry when he said it because he said that they would see him coming on the clouds well when jesus at the great commission passage ascended which direction did he go he went up and what happened when jesus went up well the biblical narrative is clear he sat down Mm -hmm. Where? On his throne. So he went up and sat down on his throne. And what did Jesus get according to Daniel 7? He got the nations. Right? What did Jesus tell us to go get in Matthew 28? Go get the nations. He brought that kingdom. That was part of the narrative. Okay, now, you got that part? There's so much more that could be said. But this is what I wanted to go to today. If you have your Bible in front of you, I want to encourage you guys to go to the last part of your Old Testament. It's right before Matthew. It's the last thing before there's a little white page there that separates the Testaments. And if you look at Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, this is awesome. Malachi 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Okay, let's do this. You guys participate. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who that is? I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way Who's before the me. John the Who's Baptist. The yeah. John the Baptist, not John the Presbyterian. John the Amen Baptist. Amen to that. <laughs> Somebody said, John Sampson said, when you shaved your beard, you became Jim the Presbyterian and not John the Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, um, Which I think is pretty messed up. Yeah, but, it's a, you know, yeah you're like, you know, it's kind of an insult to me. Yeah, it's still funny, though. <laughs> okay, so Malachi chapter 3 is a promise about the coming messenger before Yahweh. Now, hold up. Turn it down for one second. Just a little bit. You guys got to check this out. I don't know if you guys know this from this passage. Malachi 3, it says, The messenger comes to repair the way. Look at the next verse. It seriously is amazing. It says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So it says, The messenger comes first prepares the way and then who comes to his temple Mm. the lord comes to his temple now you got to notice something when malachi is written where's the temple the temple's been destroyed right and you you're you're moving your way to that second temple Mm. being rebuilt yeah right yeah so it says that that second temple who's going to visit it the messiah God. Sorry, yeah, right. God's coming to his temple. The messenger comes, prepares the way, and then God comes to his temple. Mm. 
There's more though. So I told you this is apologetic in nature. That's what I meant. That's a timing issue. You've got John the Baptist and then Jesus, who is God, coming to his temple. But watch what happens. Look at the context in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then... The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Now, watch this. Timing. One. Who comes? The messenger, John the Baptist. Then what? Then the Lord whom you see comes to his temple. Who's that? Jesus. Mm -hmm. What happened with Jesus? John the Baptist comes, Mm -hmm. introduces Jesus. Jesus even comes to his temple. But there's more. It says what happens? Purification. What's that mean? Salvation. Offerings and righteousness. But that's not all. In verse 5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord. Are you guys getting it? I got a question just about that verse of Malachi. Yeah, well, let me like, okay. hang on to it because I don't, don't okay. want to lose this and then, then ask Good. the question. It, don't forget it, okay? I won't. Don't, don't, don't right, forget I it, Jerry. write it down. Now watch, watch. So messenger comes, the Lord comes, purification and then judgment. And what does he say? He's going to bring swift judgment against those who swear falsely. Hang on. I'll give you a second to think about that. Mm-hmm. Because if you know what it was like when Jesus came to his temple in Matthew chapter 23, you ever hear about the woes Jesus pronounced upon the covenant breakers of his day? Let me read you some. Matthew chapter 23. Verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater the gold of the temple that has made the gold sacred? And if you say if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater the gift of the altar or the alt- of the altar that makes this gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. What did the, what did Malachi say? Messenger comes, the Lord comes to his temple, purification and then judgment and judgment upon whom? Those who swear falsely. Jesus comes to his temple And what is he doing? He's condemning the people of his day for their swearing falsely. Mm -hmm. And look at Jesus says, Matthew 23, he says, verse 34, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of the innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, who's he talking to? That generation. Right. All these things will come upon this generation. Verse 38, see your house is left to you 
desolate. Hmm. Malachi says, hmm. again, messenger comes, then Jesus comes, there is purification and salvation, and there is judgment. Specifically, it says upon those who swear falsely, when Jesus came after John the Baptist, he came to his temple and he condemned those who swear falsely. And he said what to them? He said that they were going to be judged before they all died, yep. that generation. But there's more. Malachi chapter four. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Watch. Verse 4. Malachi 4, 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then if you turn a couple pages, guys, Matthew chapter 3 in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Watch what John says to his generation. Verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath, and the word is mellow. Think of mellow yellow. The word is mellow, the wrath mellow to come, about to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children to Abraham, for Abraham, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. That means the axe is already swung, yep. and the axe's teeth are in the edge of the tree. Now watch. The kingdom was coming. The new covenant was coming. When that came, the messenger would come first. The Messiah would come, bring purification and judgment. What does the whole gospel, according to Matthew, get you to? It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Mm -hmm. Judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. He even tells parables. And in the parables, he says to them, what do you think God's going to do when he comes back and he hears and he finds out what they've done to his son? And what do the Jews of his day say? They say, he'll destroy those miserable wretches and give the vineyard to others who will bear the fruit of it. And Jesus says, the kingdom is going to be taken away from you mm. and given to others, right? And then it gets into Jesus condemning the Pharisees of the temple. And what does he say? He says to them, you will not all die. This generation will not pass right. away until all these things take place, including the destruction of the temple. What did he say? Signs in the heavens. The stars will fall from the heavens. The moon turned to blood. The sun will be darkened. Judgment was coming. Hmm. That was the context of the first century. When you see all the talk about that judgment coming, it was anticipated that that judgment would fall upon that generation the Messiah came to. When that new covenant came, when the kingdom arrived, there was going to be both blessing, salvation, and judgment. And what do you see in the whole New Testament? 
the expectation, the imminent expectation of the return in judgment upon that generation. What happened, guys, before that generation all passed away? What happened? Everything. Temple was destroyed. Temple was destroyed. There was blood in the streets. They were slaughtered like animals in Jerusalem. Who were the only people to escape, by the way? Christians. The Christians were the only people in Jerusalem that were able to escape because, listen, when the Roman armies came and they surrounded the temple, they surrounded the temple and then Rome almost fell apart. And the Roman armies left the temple, turned around, and as a matter of record, the Christians in Jerusalem fled Mm -hmm. to a town called Pella. And as soon as the Christians fled, the Roman armies returned re-surrounded the city and there was the three and a half year war of the Romans versus the Jews. The temple was destroyed. The Christians escaped. Now here's the question. How come the Christians escaped? How come they knew not to even go back to get their coat? Jesus told them. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, the temple's going to be destroyed. All the judgment upon this generation as was expected from the Old Testament promises, judgment was going to come. But he told them, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that's what Matthew twenty, uh, Luke 21 says. Matthew 24 says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, he says to flee, right? You can flee this judgment. It's localized. It's not worldwide. It's localized because they're told to flee and they can escape. And they did. They did escape. But you notice something. We talked about the blood moon. John yep. Hagee. Jesus quoted in Matthew 24. (laughs) He quoted from Isaiah chapter 13, where in Isaiah 13, the, the, the word goes out against a pagan nation. And what was the wording? Same wording. People say, wait a minute, the stars have to fall from the heavens. The moon has to turn to blood. That's prophetic hyperbole. It's like God's trash talk. Now, I don't want to be irreverent when I say that, but I mean that. It's prophetic hyperbole. God used graphic, dramatic, cosmic deconstruction language Mm. to describe the destruction of a city or a state in the Old Testament. He would use words like, the the sky is going to fall on you. I'm going to drop the world on your head. That kind of language. And when he used it in the Old Testament, he used it against a pagan nation. But then Jesus in Matthew 24, when he talks about their temple being destroyed and them persecuting the Christians... He uses the language that God used against a pagan nation, and now he flips it and uses it on Jerusalem. That they would experience it before they all died. That was the expectation. One last point, and then we're done today, and I want you guys to look at this later. In Acts chapter 2, if you read Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, famous scene, right? What is, who knows, who can tell me here? Bible test, Bible quiz. What is Peter quoting from at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Joel. Yeah! Joel what? Who knows? Joel 2. Joel 2. Men will prophesy, men will dream dreams. That's right. Joel chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2... I just have my fair share of people taking that out of context. In Acts chapter 2... The Apostle Peter is standing there in verse 14 with the eleven. He lifts up his voice and addresses the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Watch. But this, what they see, is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
So Acts 2.16, the Apostle Peter, under divine inspiration, says that the signs and wonders that they're seeing at the very moment at Pentecost, he says, this is what Joel talked about. And what does he quote from? Joel chapter 2. And what does it say in Joel 2? It says, and in the last days... It shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Hang on. There's more. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He quoted there from Joel 2. Joel 2 said, signs and wonders. And then what followed the signs and wonders, y'all? Judgment. And brothers and sisters, what followed the signs and wonders of Pentecost in that generation? What followed it? Judgment. Mm -hmm. What happened to the Jewish people? They were judged. What happened to the temple? It was destroyed exactly as God said was going to happen. So, with all the eschatological mania that happens, where people quote from these texts and they try to apply it to today, understand something. When you try to apply these texts to today, you rip it out of the biblical narrative and, fundamentally, you ruin the apologetic ability to be able to demonstrate that Jesus is in fact Mashiach. Mm -hmm. That's what it comes down to. If you take these passages and you apply them to the future, that means ultimately Jesus isn't the Messiah because it all had to happen at a particular time, in a particular order, in a particular way. And if you let the Bible speak, it all happened exactly as the Bible promised. Jesus is the Messiah. He came on time he was the right nature, God in the flesh. He provided salvation. He brought purification and judgment to that generation. He followed John the Baptist, the messenger. He came to his temple. He brought judgment swiftly upon those who swear falsely. He even condemned them in Matthew 23 for doing so, exactly as the portrait of the Messiah was displayed. He's the Messiah, y'all. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I love Joel too. Amen. Yeah, I was Joel, Joel 2 is what made me become a Presbyterian. Wow. It's true. Giving those people a... I thought we talked about Jesus at some point on this. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> Gather the children. Yeah. <laughs> Gather the children, even the nursing infants. Yeah, I'm down with that. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. I am down and with that. And it says a sprinkle. <laughs> Dang. Dang. Awkward moment here on Apology yeah. Radio. Okay, okay so ahead. that um, passage in Malachi... Uh, what caught my attention is when, uh, is when it says he will he will purify the sons of Levi, and everything that that Elsie says it really sounds like is it sounds like Hebrews yeah. in a lot of ways. Because yes. when, when I hear purifying the sons of Levi, the whole the whole argument, the entire book of Hebrews is arguing that Christ is the fulfillment of the old covenant. And you see that entirely. So I would I would assume just off the get go that the author of Hebrews is very familiar yeah. with this prophecy. Yeah, and 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 I think if you guys go to Hebrews, what is the warning in Hebrews, guys? You guys joining here fast? What's the and Marcus? What's the very serious warning in the book of Hebrews? How to trample the blood of the covenant? Right. 
And the warning is to Jewish believers mm-hmm. not to go back to what? Not to go back to the temple. Right. Right? Ultimately, right. not to go back to a human priest that sins, but not to abandon Christ, who is the high priest forever. He is the greater prophet, priest, and king. Don't trample under your foot his blood. Don't go back to that system. Because why? Watch. Hebrews chapter 12. This is written before the destruction of the temple. He says, You have not, verse 18, come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the, made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you watch, watch before the destruction of the temple, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in, fe- in feastal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. What, what kind of blood? Sprinkled blood. Sprinkled blood. Okay. It's got right. nothing to do with baptism. Oh, okay. Just, okay. just See that you you see that you do not refuse him who is speaking for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Watch this. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens and watch. He explains what it means to shake the earth and the heavens. Watch. Does it literally mean shaking the earth and the heavens? He says this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. What's he talking about? The old covenant order. He says, once more, God is going to shake the heavens and the earth. What's it mean, the writer says? It means that God's going to remove the things that can be shaken. Mm. The temple. Mm. The old covenant order, parts and pieces. He's going to remove and shake the heavens and the earth. To make way for what? The things that cannot be shaken. And what is that? He answers it. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Mm. So the first century, right here, before the destruction of the temple, they knew that that old covenant order is about to pass away. It's about to be shaken to make way for the new heavens and a new earth, to make way for the new Jerusalem. And if you say, watch, Isaiah chapter 2 says that in the last days... The nations are going to stream up to the mountain of God, this Zion. The law will go forth from Zion. In the first century, the writer of Hebrews says they already came to that Zion. They were already in that new Jerusalem. It was already there, and God was about to destroy the old order. And he was saying, don't go back to it. Don't go back to it. God's going to be faithful to his word. He's going to destroy it. Don't go back to it. We are the new Jerusalem. We are the heavenly city. We are the kingdom of God. And this kingdom can never be shaken. Not like the old one. It could be touched and destroyed. This new kingdom has a priest that never dies, has a sacrifice that is once for all, has a king who is perfect and reigns forever. It is a new Jerusalem that cannot be touched and destroyed. It lasts forever. Amen. Amen. For real. Amen. I mean, the eschatology is important, y'all. Someone says, I'm a pan mill. It'll all pan out in the end. Well, I want to say, think deeply. This stuff matters. It's all over our Bibles. 
And eschatology does matter. It matters to the cults. It should matter to us. It should matter to Amen. us. And here's the thing. Last word I'll say on this. If you get it wrong, if you get it wrong, then atheists rightly use those passages against you to show that Jesus isn't the Messiah. If you take Matthew 24 and you try to put it future, you try to put it later on or to our generation, then it demonstrates that Jesus Christ has a false prophecy because he says in the text to his generation that all those things would happen before they all died. If they didn't, Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22 says, false prophet, if you have a false prophecy. So how important is eschatology? Vitally important. My, My good friend, Dr. James White says, theology matters. And you know we agree. But I want to add to that and say, eschatology matters. It matters a lot. Because you see, if all these things happened on that generation, and we are to expect Psalm 110.1, that he puts all his enemies under his feet, and the last one is death, and then he delivers the kingdom to the Father as a victorious Messiah over the world, then you hit what you aim at. If you think that Jesus wins in history, then you think different you work and act and live in a different way. You think yeah, long term. You think about legacy building and you think about winning. You see, if you think that Jesus has to fail and the church has to fail for him to return in victory, then guess what? When the culture decays around you, you don't labor to fight the good fight against it. I'm not saying that there aren't people who are premillennialists. That don't live righteously and fight. There are. Like Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown is pre-mill. J-Mac. He's pre-mill. And he fight. He's like, I don't care if we lose. He's like, I don't yeah. care if we're supposed to lose. We have to fight to yeah. be faithful. So there's faithful pre-millennialists. But on the whole, when you think about how people think, when you work towards how these implications actually flesh out, you got to understand that if Christians believe that we fail in history, they live like we do. Right, y'all? Yes, sir. Last words. Missionaware.com. Yes. Go get a shirt. Good call. Go get a shirt. Also, want to encourage you guys to come to ReformCon to hang out with us. ReformCon.org. You will meet Joy. You will meet Luke. Is that enough advance time for you, Joy? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, Okay, good. Okay. You will meet Marcus Pittman. Thanks for more than one day. You're welcome. welcome. You will meet Nostradamus. You will meet me, James White, Scott Oliphant. You will meet a load of people that will just bless your life. You won't meet Bobby. No. Are you coming? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe Maybe you'll meet Bobby. Mm. Bobby, I want to tell you thank you. Thank you. It means a lot to us that you showed up, man. We're glad you're here. All right. So that's it, right? Yes. I hope the show was a blessing. It was good. I'm sure that you have more questions. If you do, let me recommend a book. One book. He Shall Have Dominion Mm -hmm. by Kenneth Gentry is a must own. You must have it no matter where you're at on this issue. He Shall Have Dominion will bless you. It covers from Genesis to Revelation all of the relevant texts and issues. And he deals very, very fairly with the opposing arguments. It'll bless you. And so that's it, y'all. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Apologia Radio. Make sure you share it with someone you know and love. You guys bless us. Thank you. We'll catch you next week. Hi, this is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio. You can get us at ApologiaRadio.com. I'm also the pastor at Apologia Church in Tempe. You can get us at ApologiaChurch.com. want to invite you guys to join us for worship, the word, and fellowship on Sundays at 4 p.m. And that's Joy Tempe. Hey there. We are a family integrated church. 
So we invite you to bring your whole family to worship with us. This is Luke Pearson, the ministry bear, also discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. Like Jeff mentioned, we are now meeting at a new location and time, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons at Arizona Community Church. That's 9325 South Rural Road and Tempe. We're meeting in the community center, and that is between Warner and Ray off of Rural. Again, you can reach us on them internets at apologiachurch.com. Delicious beards are encouraged but not required. <laughs> Glory!